This is the Water Foresight Podcast powered by the Aqualaris Group, where we anticipate, frame, and shape the future of water through strategic foresight. Our guest today is Maria DeCellis, a 21-year veteran of the utility industry. She serves as the Vice President of Utiligent and also was a former Public Works Chief for the City of Baltimore. Maria is also the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Access H2O, which focuses on providing support to at-risk water customers. Maria is part of the 2020 class of Presidential Leadership Scholars. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. My first question to you is COVID-19 has really had a dramatic impact on the water sector. It is really transformed the way water utilities in particular have addressed their performance uh, and their financial status. What what have you seen as a result of COVID-19 in the water sector? Well, um, you know, it's funny that I think uh, at the start of COVID-19, historically, water has been... Um, Water has been often uh, compared to its, let's call it, its energy cousin as always the one to respond slower uh, to trends in the industry. So people always say, oh, well, you know, water is simpler than energy or, you know, water is behind energy. And I think that COVID-19 showed that water absolutely has the capacity to respond quickly. Um, So in a positive spin, I think the the water industry responded very quickly to the necessary changes that needed to take place when it came to the workforce needing to stay at home, when it came to making adjustments in operations to both the field staff, into the front office staff, into communicating with customers, um, commercial customers um, in terms of shutting the water off or when when coming back into commercial facilities for flushing the line. So in a positive note, I think it it did go to show that water absolutely had that capacity. Um, On a challenging note, I think we are starting to see the more concrete examples of the disparity in how um, water billing is treated in terms of payment uh, and the priority in which a lot of households treat um, water bills. Uh, I think the very traditional collection models that water tends to follow, because a lot of it is uh, either municipal or districts or authorities, that very traditional collection model of we are a monopoly, we send a letter, we maybe call using an IVR, do an outbound call, and we run very clear nine to five structure. Um, I think that is being shown to be less than effective when it comes to doing any type of engagement and keeping customers um, top of mind when it comes to uh, doing any type of debt recovery. Interesting. One of the common uh, articles that we saw during the pandemic were directives to water utilities to uh, not disconnect customers 
for lack of payment. What is your view on that particular directive by the government? And what do you think are some of the outcomes from that, not just over the next year, but maybe long-term over the next 10 years, 20 years? Is this something that we're going to see? Uh, Will utilities be able to recover financially? Uh, A lot of different aspects to that question. Yes. So I don't think that... uh I don't think that you will find a lot of people who would disagree that um, shutoffs during a a global pandemic that had to do with safety and health in the way that that COVID nineteen did um, that shutoffs the 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 moratorium around shutoffs was a bad idea. I absolutely would agree, and. Um, I think the the response to that, uh, especially right out, out of the offset, was absolutely a good idea. The I think the method in which it was done, um, as we start to look at lessons learned, there's going to be a lot to discuss, um, and the least of which is the fact that uh, the process of coordination between the governmental level at the either state or federal response level and how that actually played with the, you know, municipalities at a, at a local level, at a city level, at a county level, there was not a lot of communication at that, um, at that level. So in fact, it was more, um, uh, at the state level saying, we have decided that we're going to stop shutoffs, but not a communication that was uh, in advance, whereby there could be a lot of planning, both financial and operationally, to start the communication well in advance, to perform a lot of financial planning, to look at the impacts of what that would mean, to forecast that, that into the budget, or to do those things simultaneously and to ensure that the state understood the impacts of these changes as it was going on. Now, while that may not have and should not have changed the response, which is that shutoff should not have been performed during the the pandemic, the planning and, and financial forecasting and all of that should have been done and executed and been fed back into that budget um, during that time period, and the absence of which has now a lot of impact in terms of cities being um, seeing large gaps in between what they are collecting, sometimes 50% or more of hmm. water bills being behind more than 90 days uh, delinquent. Uh, in some cases, if the cities, if these cities were to reinitiate shutoffs today, they would find, in one city's case, more than 75% of their population would be shut off wow. that day. Wow. Um, so that's over the short term. Do I think that over the long term, what the implications of that will be? I think we're going to find that it will take over a decade or more to actually see the long-term effects of what this long-term shutoff has created, because not every state has actually performed these long-term shutoffs. These states have not performed the long-term financial impact assessment on them. So in some cases, 
Um, the state is rolling these extensions to them almost independent entirely of the utility. So it's, you know, every two or three months, they say, well, we're going to extend it another 90 days. But once again, that isn't being decided until two to three days before that order is extended. Again, without the utility performing a financial assessment as to what that will mean. Um, and, and in oftentimes, these bad debt numbers or collection numbers are themselves not being updated on a yearly basis. So it's difficult think, to put, it's difficult for utilities to plan if they're getting a week notice. Absolutely. So if you're taking numbers that in and of themselves have likely not been updated in a decade or more, oftentimes taking bad debt numbers and just updating them once a year by 1% and not actually looking at what was truly uncollectible. And now you're adding with that moratorium and now you're adding with that, um, you know, 90 days by 90 days, these updated moratorium numbers. I think it will be a 10 year or more time for utilities to see what the true impact of the lack of collections has done. And that is without even looking at the fact that we're just talking about water billing, how that's going to play into being able to get favorable numbers for bonds or for capital investment when it comes to the asset. That will be the true test of how they're able to secure funds for asset reinvestment. Yeah, you 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 started to talk about the question I was going to ask. Um, you, you know, if if we start with the premise that the meters are the cash registers. And if you are turning off the cash registers for many customers and money is not coming in the door, you cannot fully fund appropriate uh, operational activities. Capital uh, projects may stall. Asset management activities may be diminished. And uh, you can see how that may cascade into the future, I think, as, as, as you put it. Um, certainly, do you see being able to go to what I call the credit cards, getting debt, how will um, how will the bond market respond? How how will their standards change? Perhaps when uh, cities go to the bond market uh, to fill the gap, fill the needs for capital projects, and their 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 uh, their revenues may be dramatically different, um, coverage ratios may be different, things like that. Do you see the the uh, financial market? changing to account for the outcomes from uh, COVID? Uh, I don't know that the, the extremely favorable um, rates that the, that the um, city level lending rates around capital investment have been given, that some of these large cities have been given as a matter of uh, investment is going to continue. And I don't think that COVID is going to be a reasonable um, a, a, a reasonable approach to um, get favorable rates. I really don't. And so one of two things kind of looks likely. One is that at some point, the rates that cities will be able to, to gain will be equal to the rates that private industry was able to achieve, which then make, begs the question, if the two of those look the same, then the historically 
almost 60% difference in rates that was accounted for between um, municipality and private industry or uh, private water companies. The reason for the difference historically has been the rates that cities were able to achieve as a result of favorable lending rates. Hmm. Once that's gone, private industry, private water utility rates and city rates look about the same. Hmm. So either the private ones go up or private uh, private utilities start looking more competitive in that market. One of the themes that you and I have seen over the past year or two has been the notion of affordability. What does all of this mean for the idea of affordability for those that are uh, not living in the Beverly Hills area, if you will? Uh, how has all of these recent uh, events around COVID impacted affordability? And what does that mean in the next 10, 20 years to those who are struggling to uh, pay their water bills? Is it going to get easier? Is it going to get better? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think uh, I think that the over the extremely short term, I'll speak to the extremely short term and then kind of project out over the extremely short term, I think this is the next one to two years of of what will be laid out as the foundation for um, what the future of water will look like. And the reason I say that is most every state in the U.S. right now is under a tremendous amount of water debt. If you compound that with the number of, let's say, um, water affordability plans that are either currently in progress or have passed or are or one to two years in, similar to Philadelphia, the recent plan that was just passed in Baltimore and other cities that are looking at that, you are now starting to see a bunch of states that are realizing that they cannot continue with plans that have a potentially limitless water belt rate in cities that have got a majority population that are 200% or below of the poverty line. Now, having said that, <laughs> the reality is that capital or uh, that affordability plans cannot live still tied to asset fixed asset costs. So the minute that you can that the two are tied together, where you say a, a an affordability plan has with it a component where the fixed assets, you could be discounting fixed asset costs, puts you in the same position 10 years from now as you were 50 years ago, which is the minute you start saying, I am not collecting all of the money needed to repair the assets in the ground is the exact same place we were 50, 75 years ago which led us to these increasing water rates where we stood five years ago, where you saw year after year after year of 20, 30, 40% water rate increases, which led to the discussion around water affordability. I know I'm, I'm playing a little bit of the Avengers game of, you know, days of futures of, you know, <laughs> one minute being in the future, one minute being in the past, but um, that's essentially this 
the circular argument that we keep having. The minute that you do not recover every dollar that you need to, to invest into your assets, you are going to have a continuing problem with water rates that need to rise to meet the expenses that you need to repair the assets. If not, water quality is at, is at risk. And where you have water quality at risk, now you have health and safety at risk. So as I start to forecast out what does water look like in 10 years, if you have an increasing factor of water affordability, so there's no way of getting around the fact that there are a number of people in the United States, especially in inner cities, that cannot afford water. You have a tremendous amount of water debt. However, you have an increased amount of needs to invest in water. It means that you need to start separating and recovering these amounts as two entirely distinct items, which means, in my opinion, there is going to need to be some type of federal, either federal takeover on the water asset and infrastructure side whereby similar to the interoperability on the grid side of federal investment or federal control over assets. So either it embeds within federal taxes or within state taxes and recoverable either at the mortgage level, at the state tax level, at your federal income tax level, or recovered at some kind of taxable level. Um, but it needs to be done at that level. And that removes assets as something that becomes something that can be discounted. And then the consumption-based level of can be something that is able to be discounted based on affordability concerns. So that's when you can start saying, if you meet a certain criteria of affordability, of um, income level, um, of age and vulnerable criteria, that's when you can start being able to factor people's financial situations into, um, into consideration as to what they pay per unit of water without sacrificing the safety and health by asset repair and investment. So that's where I see it going 10 years from now is that asset and infrastructure investment will be kind of separated from consumption entirely and taken over as either a recoverable cost at a different level, either through taxes at a federal or state or, or local level. A different rate structure approach. Yes. The affordability issue, if I hear you correctly, um, will never go away. It may get better. It may require new thinking. Is that fair? Agreed. Tell us about your work. You're the co-founder of Access H2O, a uh, wonderful organization. Tell us why you founded Access H2O and how it, how it relates to this issue of affordability and uh, the future of water. Yeah, so um, I worked in, um, ran customer support and services for the city of Baltimore Department of Public Works, which is one of the cities that we're talking about where um, 
there is a large percentage of the inner city of Baltimore that lives at or, bo- at or below 200% of the poverty line. Um, it is truly by luck of the draw that I was born into a financial situation that does not, uh, that I just happened to be somebody that did not have to think about the fact that my water was always running when I went to the tap at my home when I was growing up. And that another child born into a different household did. And never was that so clear as to the fact that I was sitting in my office one day and um, I was speaking to a woman that was there with two daughters and she had a shutoff order for her property. And um, the problem is, is that if you turn off water in a home with children, that home is considered not suitable for individuals under the age of 18 to inhabit. Mm -hmm. I lost my husband in 2011 and I have two daughters and I was just thinking to myself as I was talking to her, what sheer uh, set of circumstances and through no through no fault of hers and no no hard work of mine that led me to be born into my circumstance or her to be born into hers. And why would it be fair that she could risk losing her daughters and mine were comfortably able to go to the sink and turn on the sink? And it really, um, it really stayed with me even after I left the city. And uh, after that, I was speaking to my friend and former colleague who was uh, the chief of the Office of Asset Management, Madeline Driscoll, who also had left the city, and we decided to do something about it. She represents more of the asset and engineering side and and me on the um, meter to cash customer side. And we decided we wanted to do something about it. And we've had the good fortune of... um, working with uh, utilities that have wanted to give their customers other options because they themselves cannot change their rates on their own, but they wanted to give their customers uh, another option to be able to secure financial assistance, especially where they were financially vulnerable. And so the one thing that we feel that we offer with Access H2O that a lot of uh, a lot of other you know water charities um, have not to this point is the fact that we don't view the utility as the enemy and we don't view customers as you know deadbeats that aren't paying their bills. Our goal is to kind of bring the two together. We want the customers to stay engaged and communicate with the utility, and we want the utility to be able to understand what the situation is for the customer. And so we work with the customer so that they're starting to pay their current bill while we set the customer up on a payment plan with the utility. And so long as the customer is paying their current bill, we actually start paying the installment payments of their past due bill. So it both promotes engagement 
of the current bill. Um, so kind of gets them on a good payment habit going forward, but it also takes the weight of the past due that they may have experienced, especially now with the pandemic. Um, it takes that weight off of their hands. So we, we always say we're just trying to give them a hand up and, uh, and kind of help them on a path. That's tremendous. It, it, it's a story of you taking your career and living it out personally and trying to see how you can help uh, people who may be suffering, people who may not have um, the resources to have access to uh, a clean and abundant supply of water. Uh, it's not just a day job. It's a, it's a full-time job. It's a full-time commitment. So that is a, a wonderful organization. Maria, I want to thank you for being a guest on the Water Foresight Podcast. Uh, how can people reach you and access H2O? Well, thank you for that, Matt. Um, they can reach me. We are on uh, we are on Twitter and um, on, on Instagram with at access H2O. You can find me on LinkedIn at Maria Dash DeCellis. Or you can just look up my name. I think I'm the only, I think I'm the only one <laughs> out there. <laughs> um, and we also have a page on LinkedIn for Access H2O. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Water Foresight Podcast powered by the Aqualaris Group. For more information, please visit us at aqualaris.com or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. 